0: Hey everyone, Arman here. So Helium Improvement Proposal 70 was recently announced, and it is a big one. It proposes major changes to proof of coverage, data transfer, and routing, moving all of the above almost entirely off-chain. In addition, it proposes moving Helium from its own novel Layer 1 blockchain to Solana. Whoa! Solana? That thing goes down, like, all the time. Plus. Didn't it just get hacked? You better hope the centralized team doesn't flip the on-off switch when you're trying to trade. Whoa, buddy. Hold on, we'll get to that. The proposal is the culmination of the core dev team's past year of research, development, stumbling, and learning. The result is a radical new architecture that addresses critical issues affecting the project today and sets the stage for Helium to scale massively. But don't take it from me. Coming up is detailed commentary from Helium founder Amir Halim, Solana Labs founder Anatoly Yakovenko and the Nova Lab's core development team. They give in-depth answers to a lot of the community's most pressing questions, including the fan favorite, why Solana? Ugh. This episode is designed to be the ultimate resource for you to understand HIP70 and exactly what'll happen if it passes a vote. I've compiled the latest and greatest talks and Q&A sessions about HIP70, and edited them down to be more listenable without losing any of the important details. First up, we have a town hall with the Nova Labs team. Amir and team answer a bunch of questions from the community clearing up common misconceptions and addressing exactly how this transition would take place and when. And be sure to listen until the end, because after that we have a very special Twitter space where I interviewed Solana Labs CEO and founder Anatoly Yakovenko. We talked about the proposal to switch Helium to using Solana as its Layer 1 blockchain, and he had a lot to say about his love for Helium. And the progress that the Solana team has made addressing concerns in the past few months. In addition, Anatoly reveals some stunning connections between the Helium and Solana projects that I bet almost nobody knew about before this interview. And yes, there's more than one. And as for my personal opinion about HIP70, I think there's a lot to love in this proposal. Hotspots will beacon once per hour instead of maybe once every few days. The rewards that validators currently get go back to hotspots. And businesses looking to deploy devices on the network will have a more seamless experience transferring data packets. Although this proposal may have some rough edges that need to be smoothed out before it goes to vote on September 12th, it lays out a hyper-focused vision for the future of the project. I think this new direction will help core developers focus on what's really most important, building the tools to incentivize and scale decentralized wireless networks. And that's enough from me. Let's jump right into the town hall with Helium's core development team.
1: So I, I think like a lot of this goes back very, very far into like Helium's crypto adventure timeline. It's like, I think now the environment is so different in terms of options and technology stacks that could be used but when we started doing this part of things um it was probably i don't remember mark probably late 2017 or early 2018 or something like that pretty,
2: pretty much yeah
1: there weren't really any there was really nothing out there in terms of smart contract chains aside from ethereum um and we didn't know exactly how we would do it on ethereum Like we, we understood that the cost of storing data on the ethereum blockchain was very high and the transaction fees were, were high as a result and i think we were also still er, very early in our journey we, we don't we didn't know what we know now of course and we we didn't know how some of the architecture decisions uh would work out a lot has changed since those days so first of all the network grew to this enormous size um Which, you know, even for me being the most optimistic about Helium has been a surprise. Um, We've learned a ton about the different kinds of problems and the different sort of modes of problems that arise from the different architectures that we've had. You know, so all the way back to hotspots being full nodes that did all the consensus and, you know, swapped around every now and then to validators, to light hotspots. You know, I, I think we've gotten a pretty good handle on what the difficult parts to scale are and what the, you know, what, which parts are relatively straightforward. But then you've got, as I mentioned, sort of at the start, you've got the availability of other stuff, right? So there's now Solana and Polkadot and Avalanche and Cardano and Jira. And there's, you know, there's like a million of these things out there now that are all beyond capable of in doing most of what, of what helium needs, if if not all of it. Um, and the other part, you know, that I, I think we've learned is what really is important to, to people. Like, I think that for at least for me was fairly unclear at the start of this journey. Um, but for, you know, token oriented folks, consistency and reliability of proof of coverage, I think has been a real pain point. Like the, the rate of POC goes up and down receipts vanish. No one knows why, you know, this it's, it's a complicated system. That's very, very difficult to debug. Uh, And then for users of the network, data reliability is critical. Uh, And so we built a system called state channels, as I think a bunch of you know, that is responsible for packet metering and making sure that packets get delivered to the other side uh, and counted for. And that system also quite complicated, quite very novel, uh, very clever way to solve the problem, but very, very complicated um, and makes it, again, difficult to debug where a packet is failing. You know, is it failing because there's RF interference? Is there a problem with the hotspot? Is there a problem with the packet forwarder on the hotspot? Uh, is there a problem with the sensor? You know, there's like so many places already that, the, that the, a packet could like not show up from that adding this, these layers of complexity makes it even harder to debug when something good wrong. So that's sort of where we came at the problems from, is that we, we've learned a lot, we understand um, what the problems are, we understand what people need, um so you know regardless i'm just going to ignore the sort of l1 swap part for a second because i know that that seems to get the most attention uh the desire was was really to try and simplify the architecture such that proof of coverage and data credit transfers were extremely reliable right so there was no ambiguity for example how often your hotspot was supposed to beacon right we just do that very consistently like on an hourly timer or something like that and so So that reduces another sort of unknown point of the system, which is that you have this very complicated, challenging system today. So we wanted to simplify it all the way down as far as we could. Um, We think the best way to do that, at least for now, is to have a single oracle that is sort of air quotes of the server that is responsible for generating entropy, validating receipts, you know, doing... The pieces of POC that are still important, similar to the way validators need today, but stripping out all of the consensus protocol stuff and all the complicated hard bits that that make this very slow, Uh, and then doing the same thing on the other side for uh, data credit transfers is to try and simplify the architecture down there as much as possible. No longer develop our own proprietary LoraWAN server. uh, Try and make you know the packet routing Oracle name probably needs a little bit of work uh, but compatible with as many LoRaWAN network servers as possible so as I think a bunch of you know there are several different LoRaWAN network servers they call these LNS's you know AWS has one there's an open source one called ChirpStack. there's the things network there's industrial sort of commercial grade ones like senate and Actility. we just wanted the packet routing part of the system to be compatible on the other side uh, so that anyone could plug any LNS in. And yeah, we, we think just simplifying it down to that level, making it more compatible with the rest of the LoRaWAN ecosystem uh, is a good solution to, to reaching larger scale on the device side. And again, takes us out of the business of building a proprietary LNS, which is largely undifferentiated from everything else on the market. So that's like in overarching terms, just like trying to summarize a bit of the history and how we got here and what the goals are of this proposal. Uh, that's sort of the, the most of it, you know, having this Oracle architecture means that the stuff that ends up happening on the L one level of the blockchain is very, very simple. Like there's not really that much going on there anymore. It's about creating HNT. It's about creating the sub DAO tokens. So IOT and mobile for now, um, it's about taking input from the, the oracles and then distributing HNT to the people or IOT or mobile to the, to the entities that deserve it. Uh, who did the work and so that's all the l1 really does like all the hard stuff like poc and data transfer is now not inside the blockchain logic itself um and so you know which l1 you pick as a result of that architectural decision i think matters a lot less you you could do this on our own l1 uh you could perhaps have done it on ethereum i think the fee structure there is still a little bit of a problem you could do it certainly on cardano or polkadot or you know It's doable on, I think, almost any L1, maybe not Bitcoin, because it doesn't have the idea of tokens. Uh, And there's a bunch of reasons that we we went with the choice that we went with after looking at all the different pros and cons, which we can get into later. But the the important part, I think, to take away from it is that the L1's function is very simple here. And so it doesn't really matter that way anymore. It's not critical in terms of what it needs to do. All the helium-specific bits are not on the chain and still... Built and maintained, or, or at least built in, designed by us. The important part to take away is that the L one function is is significantly simplified. So, anyway, I'll stop there. Um, that's kind of a summary of how we we got here and some of the thinking behind it. But happy to to get into any questions or if Mark or Abai or anyone else has anything to add, definitely uh, jump in. I uh, I think we should go straight to questions. Yeah, I agree.
3: So, just for context, for Folks, we've dropped a form in the community chat text channel where we've been collecting questions over the past few days. Obviously, we're not going to get to all of these, so we're going to try and pick some stuff that tends to represent a lot of what's going on we're seeing in the community. Uh, Let's go ahead and grab this first one off the list. So the question asks, if proof of coverage and data credits will be moved to Solana? What will helium validators and the helium blockchain be used for just transactions Will validators earn less than what they are earning today?
1: So one important thing to understand about this proposal is that moving to a different L1 and moving to this Oracle based architecture means that there are no longer validators in the helium ecosystem. Like that is not a, that is not an actor in the ecosystem anymore. So that, I think it's 6.85% of HNT that they are currently earning for the work they do. That goes back into the, into the pool, so that, that, that 6.85% is no longer carved out. So yeah, I guess that does mean they earn less than what they're earning today because they will earn nothing for the function of, of validating. There is a new form of staking and yield in, in the system, which is called VEHNT like vote escrowed hnt so you can lock up your hnt earn a percentage of hnt that gets created and in exchange for that you get voting power effectively in the governance process so there's kind of an interesting model it, it is potentially useful in the sense that you no longer have to run a big server and you no longer have to put up ten thousand hnt and you don't have to actually perform the validation functions anymore but you can still earn a percentage of hnt that gets created and participate in the governance process there so there's still a way for validator operators and frankly any hnt holder uh, to participate in yields Th- that way it's just different from running a server that validates transactions and creates blocks because that's now going to be handled by another blockchain
2: as a as a corollary i think part, part of the question so what if poc and data credits move to solana technically proof of coverage like the actual Beginning and witnessing, it does not happen on the Solana chain. Right, it is, that happens. That happens off chain, and the corresponding rewards that are deduced from that are are called back to this uh, to the Solana chain. But the proof of coverage calculations, the beginning the reporting, all this stuff happens happens off chain.
3: Great. Um, I think maybe just a, a follow up to that question is: Will more rewards go to hotspots? Yeah, I mean the
1: the. I mean that the distribution of tokens is now a little bit different after hip fifty one, two and three than than it is today. Uh, but I think in basic terms, yes, you know the the six point eight five percent that was going to validators now goes back into the HNT pi. um but there are you know there's other stuff inside hip fifty two and fifty three that I, I'll try not to get into in this poll, but the distribution of tokens is definitely different than it is today, but in in general the supply of T going to hotspot operators should go back up as a result of the validators no longer being there.
3: So Sigfried asked the question, will the move to Solana affect transaction fees? If so, will they get lower or cheaper? Will voting on HIPs become cheaper? And that maybe opens a little bit of a question just around voting generally. Yeah, so as far as transaction fees, one of the things that we know about is you know
4: Solana has significantly cheaper transaction fees than, than we do on our chain. Um, and so, you know, there's actually been some interesting analysis going on in the Hip 70 channel around this. I think we should pin those posts and I, I will do that in a, in a little bit, but, you know, and, and sort of share a little more widely what these fees are going to look like. As far as voting, that's actually a really interesting point. You know, today, when we vote on our network, the way we do that is by burning sort of a minimal amount of, of HNT into data credits in order to vote for a, a particular direction for HIP. You know, so, you know, there's a for uh, and an against burn transaction that happens and it's costs about 35 cents. So it's actually kind of interesting and and by the Solana Labs folks. And roughly speaking, we're going to be using that plus some uh, extensions to that to enable this vote escrow locking. And so if you have vote escrow tokens, all you're really submitting is a signature and it's the, all you really need to do is lock and now you can participate. With, uh, with signatures. Um, if you're familiar with systems like Snapshot on Ethereum, it, it's very similar to that.
3: Cool. I'll have to learn a little bit more about those other voting mechanisms. I, I probably should have kicked off with this question. So Hector, uh, will this switch benefit the greater Helium community the most, or will it benefit the devs, the core team, the early investors, the rest of the HMD community? Do the majority of votes come from hotspot owners or do they come from early investors? I guess there's kind of two questions in there, but one is who's benefiting uh, from HIP70 and why are we doing it in that regard? And then the other is like, where are these votes coming
1: from? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, of course our, our belief is that it benefits the community the most. All the work we do is really for that community already. So our attempt to optimize how things work, I think should be a benefit, right? If I think of the three plus years since we launched and sort of the amount of time that I've spent on Discord and Reddit and stuff like that, just sort of understanding what people's issues and frustrations are. I I think having more consistent POC, for example, is a huge deal. Like it may not ultimately get to the point of I want more rewards, which is, I think, what pretty much everyone, that's like really everyone's thing, but at least having consistency around how POC works so that it's beaconing consistently and you're being witnessed consistently and and just that you understand how it works. I I think that's a huge win. So um, like we need to kind of stay focused on that. And I, I think that's a massive Sort of win for the community and sort of all the participants, and then the same for stuff like data transfer, right? I mean, it, the, there have been times where some of the issues on the network have uh, prevented us from being able to gain more users at time. Just candidly, right? Like there are users that have been ready to use the network and excited and wanted to use the network and in decent scales, but have had problems here or there that have prevented us from being able to to onboard them. So. This kind of work is like a, a huge benefit in all directions, right? Like it's, it should ultimately increase like the reliability and performance of proof of coverage. It will allow us to spend more time on improving proof of coverage, uh, so that we aren't focused on sort of the underlying, you know, the belly of the beast stuff when it comes to L ones, uh, and just focused on the things that matter, like proof of coverage and, and data transfer. And the end result of that should just be a, a better, bigger set of networks. Uh, that are that have more utility, right? Like I think ultimately, hopefully we're all here for for the utility. Uh, and this should be a step in the direction of just making it more reliable, more compatible with more network providers and software,
3: which ultimately we, we hope would lead to, to more users as well. Great. So sort of on the topic of network usage, there, there's a couple of questions folks have latched on to Chirpstack being a part of this. Folks have questions around the future of helium VIP console we've integrated the helium VIP console already yeah right. migration will be done in q3 2023 what is the impact to us how can we follow this change
1: yes yeah, so, so for, for that group so first i realized i didn't answer the last part of the question which was do the, from the from the last question was do the majority of the votes come from hotspot owners or do they come from early investors core team of of hnt um i mean it, I actually don't know the, the voting breakdown. I'll, I'll just say that in general, 60-something, 67% of the H&T is in the hand of, hands of Hotspot owners. So if all Hotspot owners voted, for example, like they would be the majority of, of, of h and In general, I don't think the large wallets have turned out much in the votes. Like I, I don't remember a vote where one of the top 20 or 25 uh, wallets by h and count voted not sure if that's a good or bad thing it's it's just you know something to be to be aware of so uh but that is the distribution of tokens like like 67 i think percentage of percent of the tokens that are in the hand of the h&t of the hotspot miners okay so, so that was that was one on the vip console question i i don't have a perfect answer for you here maybe dal does but he's not on this on this town hall there is dal i'll let him answer did you catch that part of the question dal yeah so you know Part of
5: um, HIP 70, as Amir mentioned, is really shifting focus of the team so that we can build out this foundation for partners and ecosystem to really feel confident that data transfer is reliable and scalable. So that is the, the priority of the team. For people who have, I think they said there was some integration work that they did on the VIP. So today, Nova Labs is hosting a router console service. And what we've discovered is that rather than us hosting this and being kind of like a very much a a bottleneck to unwrapping devices, we want to really involve the partner and and the ecosystem. And so what we're planning on doing is working with partners so that uh, they are able to... Host their own LNS and provide these services to other organizations. If you're already working and integrating with VIP, we will definitely let us know. We'll work with you in terms of transitioning that to to what we're focused on in terms of the church stack as an LNS standardized. On. This is an effort that we feel is really going to provide more usage on the networking and kind of similar to. You know, if you think about with HIP-19, initially we were the only ones that were building hotspots. And then HIP-19 came out, we opened up to other manufacturers, and then we really saw the coverage it exploded. And this is the same type of strategy that we're taking with this hip sevening in terms of focusing on being very scalable and reliable for the ecosystem. So one thing I think we covered it a little bit Um you know, there was a question about who was running it it's not attributed but
4: uh who was running the oracles which you know uh, Mira kind of started to or i couldn't refer to as Mira by the start but but as far as what process is there towards decentralization of them how are they uh now very targeted um as far as security risks and how those are going to be
2: managed today the i'll, I'll take the first step some, some of that is is a uh, uh, process driven obviously they're run on. Um, behalf of the foundation, which is as far as ownership goes, like operationally, it's like running existing routers will be, we can both note the core team can run the, uh, like the oracles today, the intent is for those, the, and that system is built out of three parts. One of them is the ingesters that ingest events, the verifiers that verify those events and generate either rewardable or invalid, uh, derivatives and then the reward server. The reward server takes that and reproduces rewards. I know I'm a robot. I can't switch the mobile.
1: I can yeah, try I can to repeat. repeat. I just yeah. Repeat. Repeat. I can <laughs> try to repeat. Sounding like a robot.
5: <laughs> yeah. So so I think
4: that the bits that he was talking about I think were around. You know who's responsible for the oracles and you know where the the proposal is that the that the, the Labs team would be building the oracles and and but the foundation ultimately would be responsible for them and we'd be running them sort of on behalf at least initially. And, you know, there's multiple different components for these oracles. There's sort of the ingestion side of, of this architecture, which allows, you know, all of the hotspots to be able to interact with the oracles. There's sort of the data itself with storage layer where all that, all the sort of raw data goes in and there's a data pipeline that leads to, you know, ultimately to rewards being issued to hotspot owners. So the, there's sort of the the three different parts of it and we sort of talk about at a high level what that looks like in the hip we didn't want to go too specific and say well this thing is going to live in s3 and this thing is going to live in i don't know i'm going to make stuff up now amazon kinesis or something like that if you know data stuff on on amazon um and the reason for that is we wanted to follow up with you know here's how the nova live team plans to implement that should be kind of separate from the hip from
2: our perspective All right okay so, so well, the key is to like split the system up and really only have them constrained to accessing uh, bucketed files that are really not changeable right security is sort of built in because the reward server only operates on buckets of rewardable events and pushes rewards into a blockchain whichever one it may be
3: all of mark answers take extra 30 seconds to process in our heads maybe a follow-up question for just talking about oracle's so how will we know if an Oracle is functioning properly if the transparency is gone? Rewards will appear on Solana but cannot be traced to the origin of which POC triggered the reward. So uh, the, the data itself is all being today is all being stored in S3, and,
4: and the code is in GitHub, and, and our plans here are to open source essentially all of it. Anyone in the community should be able to process raw heartbeats. The, these are sort of the, the for mobile or, or raw POC requests and witnesses. For the case of IoT, all of that data, we want to make it accessible. Initially, we're planning on keeping, you know, just to maybe take a layer back it towards the implementation side of things, just for a moment. We are planning to make that accessible to anyone, but in a way that, you know, where the requester has to ask for it and pay for it if they're pulling out of S3. And then, you know, you can do the same exact processing with the exact same code base, right? So you should know like know, at this timestamp, this particular version of the code base was used. Therefore, you can generate the exact same kind of output and that allows for anyone to verify. And we actually encourage it. You know, we encourage folks in the community to do that. And, and so you know, here's the raw data. Here's the sort of deduped data and with all the, um, you know, sort of garbage, stuff. Th- and you should be able to access any of these kinds of buckets along the way. Hopefully I wrapped you well there, Mark. Robot, yes. <laughs> Robot, yes, I'll take.
3: Uh, and I think you answered that in there, Avive, but uh, will the Oracle code be open source or will there be some proof of coverage details? Uh, the
5: the Oracle code will be, will be open source, yeah. Cool, cool. OK. Um, so pulling one from, let's see here, this is Siegfried mains. At the moment,
4: transactions on-chain are being in DCs. With a relocation to Solana, at least some transaction fees will have to be paid sold. What kind of activity and stakeholders of the network will require Sol? How will it be paid for? Will there be automated chain activities that require Sol buying, et
5: cetera, et cetera? So yeah, effectively the idea is that not that we are going to be requiring Sol so much about that is going to be moving on top of the Solana blockchain
4: to the SPL standard.
3: Abai, do you want to clarify, uh, I just
4: want to make sure I'm completely accurate here. Yeah, sure. So, so you know, because all, a lot of these transactions, so you know, everyone today transfers, you know, H T, for example, right? And that requires um, a certain amount of data credits to be used, and that's the think of it like the gas fee on our on our network. The, the equivalent is you'd be using some number of LAN ports which is like the the sort of units of, of Sol uh, to do that kind of payment. So those kinds of things would you know you'd still need to pay on the Solana blockchain the same way that you'd have to pay for it on the Helium blockchain. So I think that sort of answers some of the those kinds of questions. We still need to. With parts of the design here that we need to work out are really around uh, how do rewards get paid, right? And and you know th- that that will be part of the design that we need to put together, and and we'll sort of share that with some implementation plans. Uh, and then also like how do hotspot, you know, effectively NFTs get minted, right? How do hot hotspots get onboarded on the on the blockchain? Today, as a lot of you may know, that when you onboard a brand new hotspot, the manufacturer is actually paying the, the staking fee, the, the sort of onboarding fee, um, and then for, and also the initial cert location fee. And that's usually, I think most manufacturers kind of bake that into the cost of the hotspot. So th- those are the kinds of things that we'll need to transition as well. Let's see another question here. Green Grant. This one was, the original decision to require hotspots to be authorized by a maker was a to be a quick fix to bad actors lying about coverage. Now that an oracle is the sole authority providing coverage, assuming that the oracle is not a bad actor and will not buy about coverage, uh, we should no longer need permission from makers to participate in the network Creating more trustless permissions network never correct. Uh, this protocol should allow people to safely create their own nodes since the
1: nodes are no longer in a position where they can buy that correct. Yeah, I can take a shot at that one. No, that's definitely not correct. The thing that HIP19, which is the HIP that requires the approval process for hotspot manufacturers, the, the thing it was really designed to do by requiring like a hardware key and, and the stuff that's sort of laid out there is to do what it can to prove that packets on the network or proof of coverage packets in particular actually come from hardware devices and not software emulated devices. It's full of problems, right? Like, no, I don't think anyone's trying to pretend it's, it's perfect. Certainly I'm not, but th- that's the intent of it, right? Is, is the purpose of that process is to, to have some way where you can say like, okay, there's a packet on the network and it almost certainly had to come from a real device, or at least the owner of the packet had to buy a real device. That's about as, as good as we know. So you still need something like that. There are all kinds of um, amazing ideas and thoughts that we've had over the years about ways that proof of coverage can be improved. Some of them are in HIPs. So for example, HIP22, I think is a fantastic development, which has the idea of like a secure hotspot or a secure concentrator. And those, again, are like all things designed at like the physical level of Of helium, right? Not really anything to do with the blockchain part or the software part. This is like, how do you, how do you do something in the real world, in the physical world to prove that hotspots are where they say they are? Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing? So there's a ton of work that needs to be done there. Part of the aim, honestly, at least from my point of view, for HIP seventy is to free up a bunch of resources and time and focus that we spend on L1 blockchain problems and redirect them to things like. How do we improve proof of coverage and how do we make it better? So, quick answer to your question is unfortunately not. That doesn't, there's sort of unrelated problems that, that, you know, having an an Oracle doesn't really help. It may allow us to go faster because we can iterate more quickly on the Oracle. We'll have more resources. We'll have more focus. We'll be able to spend more time on proof of coverage. But HIP 70 on its own does nothing to really solve that problem directly.
3: Next question for us.
5: No, I'm looking through here. There's a lot of
4: questions, I think, just come back to why Solana in general, uh, as far as questions. Just trying to get a better understanding from the core team on how the decision was made. I think, you know, Sonus was addressed of the call, but yeah, there's, there's certainly a number of questions around concerns about reliability or chain halts. So I don't know if Amir, Bayer, if any of you three want to talk uh, to that point a little bit as far as the Solana network
5: as far as overall reliability.
1: I, I can. Um, I'm just trying to find a thing that I wrote actually in the community because I thought it was one of the better ways I had figured out to answer this question. I think, so firstly, I think some of the statistics around Solana and its ups and downs and problems are probably a little bit inaccurate it would be my first sort of reaction. Just looking at it from the outside, It it sometimes sounds a lot worse than it is. I think an important thing to think about, and it maybe applies to like a lot of the different questions that have been asked here, is that the L1 doesn't have to do a whole lot. If you took the example of Solana being completely dead, right, like it's unreachable for some reason, what would happen in that case is that mostly everything would continue onwards, right? Like the Oracle servers would still be there doing their thing. Maybe they're sort of a, a more decentralized cluster of oracles at, at this point, hotspots would still be doing their thing. They would still be reporting POC packets and data transfers back to the oracles. What would be delayed is updating of token balances, right? So if you imagine Solana was down for four hours or something, like something catastrophic had happened, your hotspot had beaconed four times during that four hours. The oracle server like has all this information. It's still there. It didn't get lost. And so four hours later, when Solana comes back, The Oracle server would say to Solana, hey, in the last four hours, here are all the proof of coverage events that occurred. Here are all the receipts that I saw. Here are all the witnesses. You need to update the token balances as such, right? Like person A should get paid X, person B should get paid Y. And so it would happen. It would just happen later. And it's, you know, one way of thinking through this also is to think about, because people have often asked like, well, what about using Ethereum? It never goes down. The way Ethereum like protects itself against load is by increasing fees to, to the point where it becomes sort of untenable to submit transactions, and that sort of naturally balances itself back out again and load decreases. So in, if Helium was running on Ethereum, we would basically run into the same problem. Like, We would have some kind of logic in the Oracle servers that would say, like, hey, if the gas fee is over you know, X value, Oracle server, you need to wait until the gas fee comes down and you can keep querying the the chain or whatever, every 30 seconds to see when the gas fee is improved. And then you can submit the transaction when it's below a certain number. Like you can't imagine paying like $200 or or $300 or something for a reward transaction on helium would be, you know, would be insane. It would be untenable. I don't know where those fees would come from. So in that case, like whether the chain is down or whether the fees are high, like you actually end up in the same sort of logical state, which is that, you know, it just doesn't, just doesn't work like the, the oracle server has to kind of hang out for for a second and wait until it in, until it comes back and so so that's you know an important thing to think about in the line of questioning of like why didn't you choose X blockchain or why didn't you choose Y blockchain or what happens when the thing goes down is that uh, like unless it's catastrophic like unless the thing is like dead for like weeks or something or days maybe not really a huge deal like you're going to lose token balance updates for a while but data is still going to get to where we're supposed to go and proof of coverage beaconing and receipts are still going to be there they're just you're just not going to know for for a little bit so that's my catch-all answer for why solana and why not x y and z but in in general and solana specifically i think there's a bunch of good stuff that we like you know the fact that it uses rust as a language i think is is helpful it allows us to write code that's a little more error-free let's say the transaction fees are absolutely tiny relative to to any other chain Like whether that is sustainable or not in their own ecosystem, I I don't exactly know, but for now it's a, it's a phenomenal driver. The developer ecosystem is pretty good. Like you've got frameworks like Anchor and stuff. Like I found the wallet ecosystem to be quite good. So I should probably not say Slope or something because they just had that fee leak. But Phantom I think is a really good wallet. So again, it's just more tools that people can use on the network. Their mobile project, I think is interesting to us. I, I don't know exactly what we can do with both the Saga phone And their mobile stack, but definitely well aligned with what we're doing. And also the fact that the big exchanges have support for the SPL token standard, which is kind of like the ERC 20 idea on Solana is helpful because that, you know, both exchanges, but also things like Ledger wallets and stuff like that. I think most of you know, like we've been stuck in this sort of experimental status on Ledger for what feels like years. And so, you know, you get the benefits of all of that compatibility, basically. And, that, and that's true for, for some of the other chains too, but I don't think any other chain has that combination of stuff. And the fact that it feels almost real-time with how quickly blocks get created, maybe not a huge factor, but definitely kind of cool from a user experience point of view when you're interacting with wallets and changing hotspot locations and asserting hotspots and stuff like that. It, it feels like you're using a Web2 app, like it's, it's very, very fast. So that's kind of my, my point of view on Solana. Yeah, I agree with everything
4: Amir said. And I think one thing just to highlight there is that, you know, if five years from now, if, uh, if this is the wrong call, let's just say, you know, we still have ledger state that we can migrate off. And because of all that oracle state that we can migrate, like that's a, you know, a possibility for us, right? So I think uh, this entire architecture really, really is resilient to something that's, you know, catastrophic. So I think, that, I think that's something that else to think about here. Great. Thanks, guys, for uh, for the thoughtful answer and a buy adding on there. Some of the stuff that I think, you know, there's a couple of things that are a little bit more kind of our individual, like our, our host operators. So as far as, you know, when you guys said Hip 70 proposed moving to Solana, does that mean I will be mining Solana instead of HNT or I got that wrong? So again, just to this probably a good one worth clarifying you won't be mining for salama actually you wouldn't be mining for HT. you'd be mining for either the iot token if you're supporting uh, uh, providing low land coverage or you're going to be mining mobile token if you're providing 5g coverage so just to clarify and again the idea with this proposal that those tokens are just simply existing on the spl standard Let's see what else will i have to do anything for the migration if this happens will my HubSpot app update automatically and run forward on the new chain without the need to do any complex or manual updates? And when will this happen? Thanks in advance. Yeah, so I can pick up the sort of user experience for H&T uh, holders today and hotspot owners today and and, uh, and folks like that. So more to come, obviously, on the exact implementation of how this will happen. But, you know, one of the advantages that we have is that your wallets and, you know, your seed phrases should turn into a predictable Solana address. So So, you know, today you can open up your uh a a wallet app on the Solana side like Phantom or Soulflare um and put in a seed phrase and and generate a, a wallet that's uh, compatible with the Solana ecosystem. And you know, we can essentially do a, a ledger import. Like we we're gonna be, you know, the, the way that this would actually be implemented is we'd be um halting the helium chain. Figuring out everyone's balances and their assets, like their you know, number of data credits that they have, the number, amount of HT or mobile or you know the hotspots that they have, and migrating that state into the into a Solana um, chain. So that's, uh, that's a migration that we'll do, and, and we're going to be building some tools along the way, you know once this HIP is approved, that should have shows people, you know here's, here's your Solana wallet, here's your Solana address. One of the things we've also been thinking about is making it possible in Solana's testnet to just start to see your balances and start to play with it. You now, once you start to get a feel for these things, it becomes a lot less concerning, I think. Obviously, we intend to do that. Great. Uh, keeping things moving. There was a question here. Is there any preferential treatment for existing validators who directly convert to escrow tokens in terms of and HNT received for a given lockup period? Or can all HNT holders convert to the HNT at the same rate? I believe that there is actually a hip in progress around this idea, as far as um, the idea of I'm just trying to see if I can find something else. You know, giving um, the who pre-commit, um, you know, some extra voting or staking power potentially. I think that's a hip in progress. But I don't know if by I mean if you guys know anything on that or can speak to it, but I, I think that
2: that's being authored.
4: Yeah, I've I've definitely heard about this idea. I've gotten this feedback already. Actually, um, it's interesting. So I'll, I'll sort of answer this in two ways. One, one of the advantages of using this Vodescrow token model is that you know anyone can stake and anyone can lock. So you don't need ten thousand HNT to lock up and be able to participate and earn for the IoT network or the bubble network. You know, or participate in governance. Right? You can put one HNT and. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a huge win for, for a lot of the community who want to be able to participate in this kind of staking. The other thing, I think, so Scott, what you're talking about, and I've heard this feedback as well, which is it would be nice to be able to kind of signal that you are going to be staking on the other side of the transition. And I have a couple of ideas of how we could implement that. So yes, if there's a formal proposal on this, it should be really, really interesting. But I think it could really show that there are validators today who are interested in in staking and, and sort of locking their VEHNT uh, before this migration even happens. It certainly would actually make our jobs a lot easier, I think, from a Ledger export and import perspective, because then the best time to do it is actually before we halt the chain. Great. Uh, still looking through. Yeah, certainly a lot of questions of, you know, and the core devs considering platforms, uh, L2 rollups, for instance, what the trioffs consider? I think we've, we've covered a lot of, uh, on, again, like how the, how the team came to it again, the, the idea that there's really not necessarily the, the needs from an L1 are you know, very much simplified given the components run by Oracle, so just again, what specifically about Solana. Again, some of these things, I, I just want to at least emphasize from my side, it's not necessarily the technical merits, also the fact of, again, you're talking about one of the, the fastest growing developer ecosystems, and I certainly know there, there are other L1 ecosystems that have you know large developed communities that are growing quickly. But as far as the developer compute communities, the significant composability of other tooling features that are available, obviously a benefit of entering into a, an ecosystem that has a large DeFi ecosystem, just opens up more utility with tokens longer term. So there's certainly a number of things that align beyond just the kind of technical merits of the chain itself. Uh, here's one that's a little bit true. What impact is there to those about score our ETLs, our current data about rewards and witnesses hunted to Solana level, how
5: will this be made available for free specifically? Uh, that's your big sky.
1: Is it safe for you to talk yet? Mark? I know you were kind of waiting.
2: Uh, uh, it depends how, how my robot's feeling right now.
1: It's like, I can sense that it's there, but maybe, maybe it's okay. Did you catch the question? Of course not. It's actually almost the
4: exact same question right next to it from Normian, which is, for those of us following the chain by a node or ETL, how will we get new information and ensure consistency with historical records?
2: Right. Thanks, Norm. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, work with, we'll work with ETL uh, to update, to basically ingest files from S3 buckets and update reward tables just like we do today. Once the shift happens and our existing chain is no longer active, obviously that data is you know doesn't
1: i think the attempted thing to say there is that trying to get etl some equivalent version of etl that will exist though people can consume both the solana side of the chain but also the helium specific things like proof of coverage stat or data and data credit information so it yes. feel roughly the same i don't know if it will be one for one match maybe i don't know
2: i think we'll be really close i think we we'll got get etl pretty close at least for the poc and inside. there you go
5: yeah because there's another question
4: again similar line of questioning of why would we have to pay for s3 data we run our own routers and etl and get data free uh why yeah basically people are just concerned about the transparency and being able to access these things for free that they're doing now
2: yeah i'm I'm open to other ways of doing this. The problem we've had so far is that we get tremendous abuse on anything that we offer for free. And we just had a really hard time like like being able to justify egress costs the way we, the way we have been so far. I'm very open to other ways of protecting the insane abuse that people are are putting on APIs and buckets of any kind that are being offered today. Maybe
3: we make hotspots, IPFS pin everything on the chain and it. it gets generated.
2: Oh yeah, that'll that'll help. Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> Uh, There's a couple of questions in here, all sort of asking the same question, which is that how long will this take? So how long will the implementation take to move uh, to Solana and PopChain POC? I
2: believe the... Off chain POC side of it, and the packet the, the packet offload side of that will happen in relatively short order. I think think in the order of a short a short few months. I and mean, no, no guarantees. The actual offload to Solana will probably take a a, a few months to basically get everything everything integrated and waiting wildly since I'm not a
1: yeah. I mean, I think the desire is sort of year's end on on the Solana part, or by the year's end. So. If- something, like, something like that range soon. Yeah,
4: it's, uh, it's, it's soon for sure. Right. So we, we think that these two parts can work in parallel, specifically the, the Oracle side of things can be worked on by the Neva Labs team and the foundation can drive uh, the Solana migration. And I think that if we do this in parallel, what, one of the things that I think really is possible is by the time we're ready to vote, like we actually have a fairly like sure way to to build the off-chain things, and we actually started this work. I think a few folks in the community have noticed that we started prototyping, and there's some PRs PR going around, and there's some PRs going around for the packet verifier. As you know, like everything we're building is is open source, so um, it's all it's all out there, and we're already starting to think about this. Really, mostly to try to validate our design that we came up with it looks like normium just put a follow-up to his uh, initial question he said to clarify this is around the kind of the etl the access to uh, data he said we're not looking for tooling we're looking to ensure open access to proof data otherwise there is no proof of value and just confirming the data will be readily available to consume from the network as opposed to data dumps or supported tooling so just making sure that that was clarified from normian who had the original question around etl
2: uh, I think it's a fair question. I'd like to understand the difference between the readily available data versus data. The, the thinking is you'll have access to the raw AHS data for POC Beacon and Witnesses, as well as the, the derived versions of that that basically get rewarded. All of that will be available. Is there going to be like some high-level SQL-like API to it? That, I think that's, that's uh, to be seen. Minimum, at a minimum, be available in S3 for you to pick up an end, whatever way you see fit. That dropped off a little bit for me at the end there. Oh, good. I think that
1: the summary is that all the data will just sit in S3 and anyone can grab it, run their own, right. and compare the results with the Oracle that's submitting transactions on chain.
3: Here's a question a little bit related possibly to the Solana platform. So, will the implementation of this HIP affect the ability to utilize ledger wallets and give more access to quote unquote platforms where tokens are exchanged?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it certainly will. I mean, um, Minimally, you've got all the the Solana Dexes, you know, so the decentralized exchanges that are are based around Serum. Um, so I I personally love that. I think that's that's a, like I think Dex in general are a super interesting development, and I, I think the best ones live on Solana today. And then, as I as I mentioned earlier, just general sort of SPL token compatibility is is pretty large, so hnt and mobile and iot will become an spl token which means that it should be compatible right out the gate with something like ledger you know any exchange that's ever listed an spl token which is i think pretty much all of them will be able to list hnt without having to do any other work and so we we've had this challenge with wallets and you know like i said we've we have we've built most of the stuff for ledger but we had to do it ourselves and it's still taking Ledger a long time to actually approve HNT. So having to not do all of that work, I think, is a huge win and allows, ideally, for greater compatibility with wallets, exchanges, DEXs, liquidity pools, any DeFi things. Like, it could, could be anything. I have no idea, but it sort of becomes out of our control. It's just an SPL that can be used like any other SPL on, on Solana, like USDC.
3: Here's a question that I've seen kind of come up a couple of different times. I think it's worth addressing the concern with this change. Will HNT become obsolete as a token?
1: And the, the quick answer is no, really most users shouldn't even notice that it's on a different chain. You'll still have the same wallet app. You'll still have the same Explorer. Yeah, you know, really, you shouldn't notice anything other than Your wallet address will be a little bit different. That's, but that's about it. So uh, otherwise, everything functionally will be the same, and HNT will still be its own
3: token and everything else. Same burn utility, like yeah, on the story we hopefully all know.
1: Yeah, no, exactly the same. Yeah, per per what was described in HIP Fifty One and Two and Three, but that's yeah, nothing really changes in that point from that point of view.
3: As a maybe follow on to that, I did see some questions. I can't quite remember who to attribute them to, but. Folks are kind of wondering what their hotspots will be mining in the future. So of course, this opens the question of the IoT token and how it's involved in this change. Without getting deeply into into HIP 51, I, I think
1: the easiest thing to say is that the implementation on Solana is intended to be what's described in HIP 51. So LoRaWAN hotspots would be mining IoT that is redeemable for HNT and 5G hotspots will be remo- will be mining mobile, which is also redeemable for H&T. So the intention for the the migration is to do HIP 51 and HIP 70 at, at the same time, so, such that what ends up on Solana is what's described in HIP 51.
3: I've seen some comments in the chat saying this call has helped them understand a little bit more what's going on or feel a little more at ease with it. So definitely appreciate those comments and you know the teams here. I appreciate y'all taking the time and answer questions. I, I see some comments here around hacks
4: on the salon network. So, so to bear in mind again, like that, the, those are at least the one that I'm thinking of is that, you know, that, that's something that happened at the application layer. It's not saying that was, you know, the, 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 base layer to the best of my knowledge has not been hacked. I think we're talking about things that happened at the application layer where there were, um, vulnerabilities around wallets. So that's not something that would affect, you know, that, that's not saying that would affect what we're looking to do here. Those are application specific versus network issues. So, uh, and this is just, you know, just saying to be mindful for everybody. You know, there's a, there's a lot of fun that gets spread around Twitter for, I mean, you know, really what, what L one hasn't faced its own share of folks who are kind of gaslighting or casting fear and doubt. So just make sure for, for anything that you're, you're reading and reviewing that, um, understanding where where the real root issue was, if it was a network issue versus an application issue, just saying to make sure we're all bearing in mind.
3: There is a question that's asking. Is the switch going to make it easier to run a private console for IoT devices? The reason I wanted to field this is just, of course, usage of the network has been sort of top of mind for folks lately.
5: Yeah, thanks, Joey. Yeah, absolutely. If you think about it right now, if you want to use the network, you're kind of restricted to this console router that we've built that is practically unlike any other out there. So again, how do we increase accessibility? How do we increase usage? this is what this new architecture is about. And so folks can take whatever LNS they, they're using, whether it's Church Act, whether it's another LNS, and plug in and start using the network. And So we're pretty excited about, you know, the team is really able to double down and shift focus and, and create the foundation to allow anyone high confidence to, to start using the network.
3: I'm personally excited about that. Yeah, I'm getting comments saying just that my head hurts. There, there's definitely a lot to absorb in all of this. So appreciate yeah. everyone taking the time to understand it. Here's a question Art, from Dr. Hans that I wanted to throw in here. So what is the long-term outlook for oracles? Are there any ideas to decentralize them similar to how validators work today?
1: I don't think we have a perfect plan for this yet. My perspective on it is that priority number one is to make the transition to get Proof of coverage and data transfer to be reliable and secure. And so I think there's a lot of like rapid iteration that is needed on proof of coverage, especially where we've had lots of ideas just kind of sitting. You know, we've got Semtech is interested in building a secure like LoRaWAN mapping device. We've got so many like potentially interesting approaches. HIP22, as I mentioned, there's also a bunch of data science stuff that we've been looking at that is also really interesting. And so being able to go quickly on that stuff is a benefit of, of having this Oracle model versus everything being bundled into the consensus protocol. So, um, or being part of consensus, I should say. So the, the, the goal there is to like do that, right? Get everything to be, you know, at least in a significantly better place than it is today, uh, minimally be quite reliable and then start focusing on like how to distribute that a little bit more or, or, or open it in, in such a way that someone could, for example, state a proof of coverage oracle and join the pool just like they do with validators today. I I think minimally it's critical that the work that the oracles do is verifiable and inspectable and observable. So that's kind of like a minimum requirement is that we have to, to, to ensure that that works. And I think the way Mark described it should make sense to everyone. And all that code will be open source and then fix, make it better, make it faster, and then spend the time on how do we turn it into a sort of more permissionless validator-like model? At least that's the plan in my head right now.
0: So that's it for the town hall. Up next, we have a Twitter space I hosted with Anatoly Yakovenko, the founder of Solana. And Abai Kumar joins again, and also Joey from the Helium Foundation. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Anatoly, how's it going? Welcome. Hey, thanks. It's going great. Yeah, it's good to have you here on short notice. This all happened very fast from my perspective. the hip dropped on GitHub. So that, that's hip 70. For, for anyone who doesn't know, that's a helium improvement proposal. So that's how we propose and vote on improvements in the helium ecosystem. And, uh, you know, when that thing was one minute old, I was there typing up a, a little summary of it. And now we're here to discuss. So I'm super excited to, to talk about it. I have some thoughts that I could share with everybody. And of course, I summarized a lot of it in my tweet thread. And I'd love to hear all your thoughts too. And I uh, Coming up, we also have Abai and Joey. So Abai is from the core Nova Labs team, one of the main architects of this Helium improvement proposal that has led to this decision to move to Solana if the vote passes. Joey Hiller of the Helium Foundation, also a very involved member of the community. And of course, for those of you who don't know Anatoly, is the co-founder of Solana Labs. So really awesome to have have everyone uh, up here
3: yeah thanks for throwing this together on such sort of notice Arma.
0: yeah so <clears throat> i think um one thing i want to point out before we start here is just <laughs> these two teams kind of have shared background in very interesting ways that i've always found fascinating and thought might come together helium is a project all about decentralizing wireless networks and of course the latest wireless network we're working on decentralizing is cellular networks right LTE, 4G, 5G. And Anatoly, you actually spent a lot of your career working on some of the earliest mobile phones and chipsets at Qualcomm. Am I right? Yep. Yeah. In those super early days. And
6: uh, some of those projects, I worked with uh, Mark Knightham, who uh,
0: is part of the Helium team. Yep, and Mark is the chief technical officer at Helium. And to take things even further, from my understanding, the proof of history algorithm for Solana is partially inspired by the ways that cellular networks scale.
6: Yep. Yeah. So time division, multiple access is this really, really ancient technique for managing multiple transmitters over the same frequency. And when I had the high level idea for by history just the idea that there's a way to track of time this is what i thought of immediately like oh there must be some way to leverage this trustless source of time and avoid the clock
0: synchronization problem and a whole bunch of other stuff and uh, leverage that in blockchain so you basically implemented this algorithm that's used for scaling wireless networks into a blockchain and it's used to choose the leader schedule so it basically decides who can talk at what time and that's how you're able yeah. to achieve that 400 millisecond block times of Solana. It's basically TVMA. Yeah, very, very simple. And the kind of gut-level intuition
6: is that, like in radio, when two things transmit at the same time, you get noise. When two block producers make a block at the same time, you have a fork. So if you can guarantee that there is this staggered block production that nobody is ever producing at the same time, then that should eliminate forks. You can still have logical forks and
0: stuff, but those are quite different. And I wonder, is TDMA still widely used? I know there's also CDMA and OFDMA and all these other sort of multiple access regimes. Yeah, so but is TDMA still a thing?
1: Every protocol since
6: has always used time division as well. But there's always these, and this idea exists across like, you know, 5G as well. You divide time as one of the domains that you divide up between all the all the transmitters is time. And then with like, LTE and so forth, and CDMA, like the big improvement in CDMA was you also divide the frequency as well. And then, like, there's a whole bunch of improvements after that that are using all sorts of different wavelengths at the same time, and frequencies at the same time to to make LTE and
0: 5G work. I really love it. It's kind of poetic, because we're at Helium trying to build this 5G network, of course, which right now is LTE, right? All the hardware we have out in the wild, that's actually LTE, which uses part of the technology cellular cellular network. Yeah, at,
6: at the heart of everything is tangent measure multiple access, which is pretty funny.
0: Right, which is the technology that inspired Solana's proof of history algorithm. And now we're bringing it all the way back. We're bringing the <laughs> the cells back onto Solana, so to speak. Yeah. Yep. Like <laughs> and, anyone, or... phone, too. and you're logging a
2: phone. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: So I, I, I just, I'm kind of just going on a fun little tangent here. I don't want to like confuse anybody that these technologies are actually inherently linked as of now, but it's just, it's kind of like a circle of inspiration that's going on here, which I find funny. I love it. It's like a perfect warm up, let people roll in. Yeah, it's, it's funny too, like, or... I've always thought about this, uh, this kind of like back and forth innovation that could have happened between Helium and Solana. And now here we are. I do want to clarify something about what I tweeted. People are are calling out, like I said, it's official and it's, it's not official. It's officially proposed. (laughs) So we all still do need to vote on this in helium land, right? This is, it's not something that like, it's going to happen tomorrow or next week or whatever, there is going to be a vote. I believe that's scheduled on September twelfth, And I think Joey might be able to provide a little bit more details about how this is actually going to happen from the helium side
3: of things from the Helium side, we've known for a little while now that we wanted to sort of pursue this direction of off-chain POC, and in that would be a migration to a different chain. So I think for folks that aren't from the Helium community, it helps understand like why the excitement uh, on our end, because we've been evaluating sort of a number of different chains at this point. That it's official coming from you, Arvon, is, is around that. Like we finally know what direction we're going, right? And so, yeah, it, this all has to go through our voting process. So we use this website, Helium Vote, which is token-based voting. So yeah, I'll probably be the one setting all that stuff up for Helium Vote. And then you'll take it to the community from there.
0: Great. So yeah, now that we have all that out of the way, sort of logistics and a little intro, let's talk about what is actually the meat of this proposal? What's new today, essentially? What have we learned? I did a little tweet thread summarizing the proposal which is getting pretty widely distributed at this point. But essentially, my summary is it seems that the Helium team has evaluated different blockchains. We passed another HIP just a couple of months ago called HIP51, which essentially set the path towards migrating off of Helium's native Layer 1 blockchain. And there are numerous reasons for this. For those of you who aren't as familiar with Helium, long story short, the Helium blockchain was necessary in the start because there was no blockchain that this could have been built on that existed at the time. Ethereum was just way too slow, and the other alternatives didn't really seem all that appealing and maybe had certain controversies or just certain drawbacks that would not make it possible to build what Helium has built. But now, a few years later, right, we just passed the three-year anniversary of the blockchain genesis on July 29th. Things are looking a little different. The project has scaled up massively, and there was sort of this need to modularize and compartmentalize uh, the technical aspects of the Helium network, especially on the blockchain side and the back end side. So that it could really scale to the next level. We are almost at a million hotspots on the LoRaWAN slash IoT side of things. And we're nearing 4000 on the very, very newly launched 5G network. So there's a lot of scale that needs to happen for Helium to actually become a global network, which is the goal. And the layer one blockchain that we currently have just wasn't really meeting the needs. But there are other things included in this proposal, like taking proof of coverage off chain, Basically, taking things that exist on the current Helium Layer 1 blockchain and moving them into dedicated oracles essentially makes the whole system a lot more flexible. It's almost like separation of concerns or division of labor for different, very specific tasks onto different types of oracles. This also enables a smooth transition to Solana as the new Layer 1. So that's kind of my summary of it, as I understand it. As someone who read the proposal like two hours ago (laughs) for the first time. I'd love to focus since we have Anatoly here a lot on like, how do Helium and Solana specifically work very well together? But I'd love to pass the mic over to Abai to uh, amend my summary or even give his own summary if he could probably come up with a much better one than I could. Well, I think that was a a good summary. I
4: think your, your tweet that pretty much had it right. I think what we've seen with the IoT network, you know, growing to almost a million nodes is each individual hotspot owner really is participating less and less, you know, where there's sort of a fixed capacity of how much POC activity can happen because of the way that our chain is designed. We're at a million nodes, you know, what happens at 5 million nodes, what happens at 10 million nodes. Um, we we want to have every hotspot owner to be able to prove their coverage and, and actually participate in, 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 in all, of, all the parts of the network. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to move, the network over towards oracles so that, you know, the chain wouldn't have to scale Mm -hmm. in the same way. So that's, that was one part of it. The other thing that we've seen, and Arman, you and I have talked about this a lot around how does data transfer scale, right? And ultimately this network is being built so that people can actually use it for their sensors on the IoT side and with their phones on the mobile side. So, you know, how does that really work over time? Uh, And one of the things that we, want to do is make sure that that is kind of independent of the blockchain itself. We've had a few outages in our chain, notably last year in November, primarily due to the scale of data on the network. And so you know, trying to decouple that, making it so that an actual device user doesn't have to worry about the chain itself to get their sensor packets out or or to make their phone calls or use the internet, that really should be independent. and, And we think that this architecture will really get us there.
0: Yeah. And for the people who aren't as familiar with with how Helium works now, I mean, there are a number of independent functions which are highly specialized to the Helium blockchain. The most notable ones are creating proof of coverage challenges and receiving the receipts for those. So long story short, a validator will at a specified interval and semi-randomly, but deterministically create challenges to challenge a hotspot. Like, are you actually where you say you are? And then a hotspot will receive that and, and transmit it to all the other hotspots in the area via radio wave. And then all those will report back to the validator to create a receipt. And that's how we do proof of coverage. It was hard enough to build on the helium layer one blockchain. It would have been basically impossible to build on any other blockchain. And even now it's not being proposed that we take all of this sort of proof of coverage activity and move it directly to Solana. It's actually much more modular than that. I think the insight, the core insight is that it's very hard when you have your own layer one blockchain to have these highly specialized utilities that need to be iterated on rapidly, right? As things change, as we improve the anti-gaming, as we improve the efficiency of the whole system, it's, it's very difficult to do frequent iterations and updates when you have your own Layer 1 blockchain and have to get every single party involved in Helium nodes, essentially, to update in a timely fashion. That just seems like it's been a, a huge headache for the team and has blocked a lot of the agility that I'm sure you guys would have wanted to have had. That's exactly right. I think all of proof
4: of coverage being consensus driven, requiring all types of nodes to upgrade. Just until recently, every single hotspot was running a, a full copy of the chain, which uh, although impressive and pretty cool that we had a 700, 800,000 node P2P network running, ultimately like wasn't going to work with the kind of scale that we were expecting to have. We sort of made decisions at that point to move that off of hotspots. You know, This sort of continues that
0: path. Awesome. And so- As for the aspects of the network that are moving to Solana, we have the tokens themselves. So we have two tokens right now. We have HNT itself, which is the main token of Helium. And we have the mobile token, which is for the newly launched cellular network, the mobile network, uh, subDAO as we call it in Helium land. And we also have the upcoming IoT token, which will be the replacement for HNT for the IoT subDAO. So all the existing LoRaWAN miners out there will mine this new token IoT. And they're all connected into HNT via a flywheel, which is its own topic, so I won't go into it. But essentially, the the plan seems to me to move these tokens from the Helium native layer one blockchain over to Solana. And I'd love to understand what were some of the advantages that you thought Solana would have over the existing arrangement. Sure. Yeah, I could talk about that. But also, we forgot about data credits, which are also important
4: here. Then data credits are the sort of stable, unit that you can use to actually use the network right so you have to burn hnt into data credits so yeah all of these tokens you know the what we're proposing is that these are all just standard spl tokens you start earning these tokens on the solana network you can use your solana wallet so if you have something like phantom or you have a ledger uh, you can use those those wallets you earn into your solana address and and then you know it opens up all of the possibilities of what you could do with it one of the things i'm most excited about is there already exists governance primitives. So when in HIP 51, we sort of proposed that we move towards a, a vote escrow locked token model for governance and for voting, and also for voting for a particular sub DAO and deciding which sub DAO will earn HNT and how much they'll earn uh, proportional to the others. Some of those primitives already exist today in, in Solana, um, and I'm sure Tully could talk about like other things uh, that people could do with their HNT if it's on Solana.
6: Yeah, I think the exciting part here is starting to plug in HNT into DeFi and like seeing things like Orca like handle simple AMM swaps. I think folks that have a lot of HNT would want to basically deposit into lending protocols and start borrowing dollars against it. Uh, would be an awesome service to provide for everyone in the Helium community.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that I'm personally most excited about because we've had this issue since the beginning of Helium where you mine tokens and then in order to reinvest and continue building the infrastructure, you have to sell those tokens in order to keep going. And it's unfortunate because a lot of people who start with Helium mining get obsessed with it either because, because you know they enjoy the earnings or just because they're fascinated by this concept of decentralized wireless. And so the fact that they can't keep what they mined and borrow against that in order to deploy more has, I think, been an impediment to growth and certainly something that I'm very excited to see happen once we move over.
3: I was talking with uh, Daniel from Hotspotty just a little bit ago, and he's like, oh, I could finally take this Web 2.5 product to to, to Web 3. He runs a platform that allows hosts to split their HNT with folks. and So cool opportunities to start thinking about that as like a smart contracts platform.
0: That's actually a really good call out specifically because this is something we've gone back and forth on in the alien community. There was a proposal called HIP24, reward splitting. And a lot of people wanted this, right? Because a lot of people have an arrangement, myself included, where they will purchase the hardware and then they will give it to someone else to host in uh, exchange for a percentage of the revenue. And so as of now, you have to do that entirely off chain. You have to have all the HNT come into one wallet and then you have to essentially send it out And the Helium blockchain is good with payments, like it can support to 50 payments at a time, but you have to manage all the calculations and splitting yourself. And that has tax implications as well that for those of us in the United States can make things quite unfavorable, actually, when it comes to running a hosting business like that, not tax advice. And so we tried to get this proposal passed a few times, HIP24, but it just turned out that due to the unique characteristics of the Helium blockchain, it just wasn't the best place to do this sort of splitting. And so we couldn't sort of create a native token split where you could just have a hotspot and say 50% of the rewards go to wallet A, 50% go to wallet B, or even split it between three or four or more wallets and just call it a day and everyone gets their HNT directly from the minting contract, right? That would be ideal, but we just haven't had the ability to do that. And with smart contracts on Solana, that was that's like almost one of the most simple things you could do with a smart contract. Yeah, just to give people some more information about that. We don't have smart contracts on the alien
4: blockchain today. We have this sort of thing called the rewards transaction. The validators will issue rewards every 30 blocks or so, and they would then have to do this kind of individual distribution based on some kind of information that would be on chain to each one of the sort of owners of hotspots. I know we iterated on this and Arman, I think you and I had lots of arguments about why this is important. And I actually totally agree that it is important, but like ultimately The rewards transaction on our chain is probably the most expensive one. It's the largest one. And it's the one that triggers all the consensus rules, right? Everything has to agree in order to mint some HNT. So like, we have to make sure that that thing was scalable and we've had a couple of iterations of it so far, even to get to where we are today. Although it's not one today on the Helium blockchain, a hotspot's effectively an NFT, right? And so you can assign an NFT to a particular contract and that contract, when it receives rewards could do the split. You can decide how you want to, the split to happen. Right on Solana.
0: Yeah. So when the transition happens, every hotspot will essentially be taken and and minted as an NFT on the Solana blockchain. Is that what I'm here? That's how we're planning on designing it. Like essentially, you'll
4: still have accounts and now it'll be a Solana account and each hotspot, you still will own it and you'll still get rewards for it. And you can potentially assign that hotspot NFT to, to, some, to a smart contract if you wanted to do some kind of splitting like this
0: yeah and personally i'm really fascinated in all the details behind this which i'm sure are still in the works and are definitely out of the scope of this call but there are so many interesting details about how this switch would happen so i think one that's mentioned i don't know if it's in the proposal or i saw it mentioned in discord but is that you keep your same private key that you use in your helium wallet and then you could just import that into your phantom or whatever solana wallet you use
4: yeah you know the Helium wallets today, especially if you're using the Helium app, it's just a ED25519 signature wallet, right? So it's, it, it's compatible yet the address is going to be different, right? You're not going to have the same Helium address as you would have on Solana, but it's fairly straightforward conversion. And one of the things that Nova Labs team commits to do is make sure that that transition is very clean. You know, I think we, we spend a lot of time on user experience. We try to bring as many people into this crypto ecosystem as a whole. I think we enabled a tremendous number of people to mine at home. And part of that we think is because of the focus on user experience. So like we, we want to, we're not changing that.
0: And I know I need to ask you this because a lot of people have asked me, what was it about Solana that really stood out to you? I'm personally invested like time-wise in both ecosystems. I've, I run a podcast about helium. I contribute a lot in the community. I deploy hotspots. Um, I write smart contracts on Solana for fun. I run a validator for fun in the past. So I'm very entrenched. and I, I feel like I'm almost it. too it, deep to make the argument. Can we quote <laughs> so, that it's fun You, to, you just, just your quote
6: <laughs> as uh, it's fun to write smart contracts <laughs> on Solana. It's, it's not it's no longer chewing glass, it's surfing glass. Yeah, everyone go download <laughs> Anchor right now.
4: I mean I think uh I think you just you just ditched it. Uh, uh, so for for me and, and for the other members of the team, I think it came down to a couple of things. One, you know, we wanted a, a scalable place to go, right? Like, you know, operating our own chain is tough. And I'm sure Toli totally will tell you this as well. Like I'm sure operating and developing the, the core of Solana is, is really, really hard and, and requires a lot of focus. And, you know, a lot of the core developers are not only doing that, but we're also building the applications on top of it. Getting access to this enormous ecosystem uh, developers is I think huge. Uh, and, and that's something that I personally am I'm really excited about. I'm looking forward to working with a lot of folks in the community, um, in, in both communities. Now, I think totally mentioned that, like kind of the other primitives that are available, the other sort of integration into DeFi, you know, all these kinds of things that people that are kind of stuck on the helium blockchain and like, where are our bridges, you know, we, we would have to build those or where are our smart contracts, we would have to build those things. Those already exist and then i think you know having access to all of those things allowing the community to start mixing and matching
0: some of these things i think is pretty exciting yeah i've really been dying to see some on-chain swaps of hnt for usdc and vice versa that's something that i've always sort of been in the back of my mind like this needs to exist but it doesn't and i know one of the goals of solana is to get 100 million people signing their own transactions custodying their own private keys i think another really cool aspect of what Solana is capable of is that it's a cinch to program the smart contracts for the treasuries as proposed in HIP 51, right? So we have this sort of hub and spoke architecture where we have HNT at the middle and we have the sub DAOs and they each have their own tokens and they're all backed by HNT. Each sub DAO has its own treasury. It's almost just like an AMM, essentially, like a one-way AMM for each sub DAO to have its treasury and then convert back to HNT. I can't even imagine the nightmare that uh, would have happened if you tried to program that on the the native layer one here.
4: Yeah, I mean, that. yeah, that's that's right. I and mean, one thing that you mentioned there, it's like trying to get more users to sign transactions. You know, there's 400,000, maybe more wallets right now in the Ethereum blockchain that has at least one HMT in it. Uh, I looked at this a couple of days ago, so that number might be more now. All of those are new users that could be introduced to a larger ecosystem. I think we're pretty excited about that as far as like the implementation of the trivaries. Yeah. We, we thought about how we would implement them And you're right. It's roughly there's a permanent bid price. It is a, it is just a a very simple AMM kind of thing, um, that, that could be on the, on the blockchain. And that's kind of the way that
0: I would, uh, that I'm thinking about designing as well. Yeah. I think one of my pain points as a, a hosting provider has just been trying to get a bunch of transactions through when the chain is not working its best. Although I know a lot of what's happening is not the chain at this point being too slow, but rather just the ETL, which processes the chain data, uh, is, is sort of lagging behind. And so if you submit a transaction, it clears in one minute or two minutes. You might not know for another five to 10 minutes. And I think this sort of speaks to another strength to essentially offloading all of these concerns onto Solana is that there are a lot of people in the Solana ecosystem working really, really hard to make sure that the state of Solana is readable and that the history is archived. And they're like multiple teams working on each one of those problems. And for Helium, like we have this one piece of software, the ETL, which allows the chain to be put into a SQL database. And, And that's kind of what everything is built on top of, right? All the APIs, everything in the ecosystem that uses data from the blockchain is essentially built on top of that. So I think that being able to outsource these really, really heavy lifts Like, what do we do with terabytes of data as our network explodes? It seems to me like that's going to free up a lot of time on the Helium side. And for Solana, it's just like, okay, here's more terabytes of data, which we process every day anyway. Yeah, like, I see the future playing out in
6: crypto. There's going to be chains that are very specialized at massive data sets. And whenever you get to a certain amount of adoption, it becomes a really tough problem to rebuild all that stuff. And that's just not even the right throughput of the chain itself. But all the the RPCs, the reads, like all of this stuff is is not an easy undertaking. And we noticed that even folks that were able to do that well in the Ethereum land had a lot of work to do to move to start supporting Solana. Like it, it's actually pretty, pretty tough. To you know, hundred x the amount of data that like your read pipelines can handle. So we are um, chewing a lot of glass. Like the, the devs are doing something to make that um, awesome for users. And uh, often users don't even notice it. You know, they don't they don't know why Hello Moon or Magic Eden can load millions of NFTs in, in milliseconds. But there's a ton of work behind the scenes to make that work.
0: Yeah, and I'm really interested to see what the Helium blockchain team will be able to do once they. They don't have to do that work anymore. I do. So, okay, this is that we put this together very quickly. So I want to back up for a second here and and sort of meta. I I do want to talk a little bit about what it's going to take for us to transition over to Solana if this vote does pass, but I also want to open the floor to anyone up here. So let's, let's just jump straight to questions. If anyone has a question, please request to speak and our lovely panel up here will answer it the best they can.
7: Wolfgang, welcome up. Thank you so much. I appreciate all your guys' help and everything. And I understand we have to do something to strengthen the HNT blockchain. But if, if were the devs, did they consider? I mean, recently Solana had like several block halts. I mean, when you were considering migration to other blocks, did you, I mean, were these things, uh, I'm sure they were taking consideration, but like, what did you, how did you feel about those? I mean, what if the block starts halting or continues to halt? And then we may be faced in the same position we are now. Have those things been taken into consideration? Thank you.
4: Um, I'll, I'll get started, and you know, maybe Tilly can talk about kind of what the Solana team has been doing. I know they've been doing a lot of uh, changes. From our
5: perspective,
4: we know about it, right? We understand that scaling chains—it's hard to do that, and we've certainly seen the same thing on a much smaller, much less data intensive chain than Solana We looked at other options as well. And, and ultimately we, we felt like it was important for us to pick a, a platform that, you know, is actually working on this. And you see the, we see the progress, right. And, and so we're sort
6: of voting in that direction. Yeah, this is like the biggest challenge for us. And it's because we are handling more data than all the other chains combined. So Serum as an application it's, itself does 15 to 20 million transactions per day. And like Binance Smart Chain does about 3 million. Ethereum does about one. So there is kind of a a new level of scale and it's hard. And um, just being honest, if we get to 300 million transactions per day, which I hope we do, there's probably going to be more challenges. I hope none of those lead to halts or anything like that, but it's not going to be, it's just not going to be easy to make that work. I'm confident that we can do it, but these are really, really hard engineering problems. Um, They wouldn't be, it would be done by now. (laughs) But what we've done on the technology side, like what we've actually shipped are a bunch of performance improvements and folks have definitely noticed in the 1.10 release, which shipped right after our last halt, fixed obviously the bugs that caused the halt, but also improved the performance of the chain. So latency, throughput, all these things have been just awesome. Just talk to any Solana user. But also, fundamentally, there's been a technology improvement for fee market that's almost up, completely deployed. And this improves the ability for the chain to handle these dramatic events where we've had like 100 gigabits of traffic hit validators in an NFT mint. next called that a distributed denial of service. That was, that was not a real DDoS. DDo- DDoSs can hit now... Terabits. This was just a bunch of really eager people trying to get NFT mints, but still the amount of traffic is uh, considerable. It's what a centralized service has to deal with. So we've been able to, to manage those as well. And 111, the major change is quick is the default. So it's going to be much, much harder for bots to generate that much traffic. And I would say the biggest investment we're doing, and this is a really massive one. Is the second validator, which is from the ground up implementation, built by a separate team uh, by Jump Crypto. They're um, known for high frequency trading, so their HFT team and chief scientist is building a Solana validator, and their target goal for bandwidth to be able to handle bandwidth is 10 gigabit throughput through Turbine, which is one to two million transactions per second. So if they can demonstrate that with the Solana core client that they build this kind of gives us a a road to scalability that no other chain has. But more importantly, because there's not two clients, it's very unlikely that kinds of bugs that we saw that halted the network, a memory leak, you know, stupid engineering error, one line of code in the wrong spot, and you have like a resource that grows without bounds during a high traffic event can bring down a validator. The probability of both of those occurring in the same client uh, is virtually zero. So this is... I think the biggest investment any blockchain can make, and we're doing it and for two reasons. One is scale for all future use cases. And the second one is massively improved reliability because two clients that are, you know, spec compatible but built by separate
7: teams are give you a really, really robust both safety and reliability. Gotcha. And if I may, I have one more question. Are you considering to repurpose the existing validators? I know their their roles and responsibility are are no longer going to be necessary were you considering with that vast amount of validator power and performance are we just going to just let it just sunset or is there a consideration to use that that uh, service in another section or sector or or some other way to to help the network
5: yeah so the
4: the role of validators today for our network is, you know, the block production transactions and sort of consensus and following the rules of the network. That particular function won't be needed on the network. That's going to be moving to Solana, right? And so the they'll at least continue to manage that part of it. As far as roles for these folks who are setting up hardware or setting up servers for this, the HIP talks about oracles and, and a path towards You know, having a lot of different kinds of oracles in the network, you know, initially we'll be building them. I see a future where there's multiple oracles responsible for bringing data to the Solana blockchain about this massive network of hotspots. I think that's one place where it can come in. I think also, you know, folks who are running validators, maybe these aren't the folks that are staking themselves, but the the sort of operators, the validators of the service, there's a tremendous need. You know, I'm sure Anatoly, um, uh, can probably talk about like, you know, the kinds of infrastructure that's needed to continue to scale the Solana network I consider that a rising tide, like bringing some of these folks over to Solana, um, not only will help Solana, but it will also help us. So I think, we should leverage that and and certainly look forward to seeing some of the folks in the validator community start to participate
0: in some of these other things in the Solana ecosystem. A couple of people have been waiting patiently. So I'll invite up Jelly and imaginator
1: just a quick question you know like probably the big million dollar question here
0: is how long would a transition take
4: for to for this to happen Uh, theoretically i guess yeah i'm sure it's pretty hard to give an exact number or days or weeks or whatever or years or whatever it's
0: long it takes but how long do you guys think it takes
4: Well, so it's not all, it hasn't all been designed yet. Um, It hasn't been voted on yet either. Right. So I think uh, that's, that's maybe the first thing that we should talk about is uh, this does need to go through a vote um, with the community. Ideally, we would have an answer from our community by by mid-September. I think, Joey, that's roughly what we were looking at. From there, uh, you know, it's not years. We think it's months. We'd love to share what that roadmap looks like. You know, once we have kind of direction from our community that we should go down this path. There's a couple of different things that we've already started working on, moving data transfer accounting and moving proof of coverage off off our chain and into oracles. That's work that we've already started. We think that that can happen independently of the Solana move. That's something that we need to start in earnest. Hotspots need to start beaconing more often. Infrastructure needs to be stood up to actually be able to collect uh, all the data that comes from hotspots. So all of that stuff, we'll start that in parallel through this process. I think it is it is important that when a HIP comes out, there should be code that goes with it. And so by the time that we're voting on this, we should have a lot of this infrastructure, like at least for the Oracle side of things.
2: We'll have it written. Okay. Cool. Thank you.
0: Alrighty. Thank you, Jelly. You're
1: up.
2: What's going on, guys? Yo, thank you for having me up here. I just want to say I'm so
1: bullish on this. Like, I just love Solana so much. I don't know if I'm the only one that's hype on this, but when I heard this news, I was just like, holy crap, this is crazy. Big ups to Tolly. Love you, D-God. D-God's going to the moon. Um, I just had a quick question regarding it. Like, how long has this been in, like, talks for? I understand the votes have just been started, right? So, like, I'm just curious. How long has Solana and Helium been talking about this? And did Helium come to Solana with this Uh, you know this collaboration you can say
6: so like at one point i actually interviewed for helium this was way back in the day when i was just moving to san francisco and i've known mark their cto for i think over 15 years at this point if not close to 20. so we've been always grabbing beers and just kind of chatting and this was always a possibility and i wish Solana was ready when helium was starting because i think it would have been an awesome test case but obviously When you're building a startup, the last thing you want to depend on is another startup, (laughs) especially in those super early days. Um, So now that Solana has really proven its maturity, I think this is like the perfect time. But like I, I love the the Helium team and always had like an awesome relationship with them. I'm excited not just about this, but just all the other things we want to build. Obviously, you've heard like about the Solana phone, like Saga, and everything else. So we we're thinking about
0: all the future things that I think would
6: be awesome with helium
0: solana saga phone running on helium 5g is going to be so awesome when that happens it's going to be like almost end-to-end blockchain the last thing that's left is like landlines essentially at that point yep so was this in talks when you guys like made the Solana phone like it was already in play like helium would be a factor in it um
6: no not entirely we were going to build a phone without it I was just it's kind of like the scheduling between one is the 5g network ready and things like that right like but as soon as there's ways for us to collaborate i think both teams are eager to find those opportunities and just go it's a pretty kind of really friendly relationship yeah i think i think armand mentioned that you know today there's about in the single thousands of
4: cell radios that are deployed that would support a phone that's not a you know nationwide network in the united states right so we need to get there when I, there needs to be a carrier that built that's, built, that's sort of native to the Helium 5G network. Um, but I think that's that's where it starts to get really interesting. I'm just, you know, I'd say stay tuned.
0: Amazing. All right, we got one more requester. I'm going to try to get you up here real quick, GSS. Hey, congrats on the news. Uh, super excited to see Helium make the transition to Solana. Awesome choice. Uh, really excited for what's ahead. My quick question here is, you know, I think one of the obvious big unlocks here is that the Helium team can shift resources away from building out the underlying L1 uh, on Helium and can kind of now focus on other bigger initiatives. So I assume that's a, a pretty big chunk of, uh, of human resources now that can be allocated elsewhere. I was just curious, is, is there any kind of, you know, initiatives uh, now that you have that unlock that the team can start pursuing? Or are there any kind of things going on in the ecosystem that as of today, you know, you're looking around and basically saying, hey, we've got a whole bunch of other people we can now start pursuing that. We'd just love to uh, to get uh, some thoughts on that.
6: Yeah, I
4: could jump in here. So uh, we are still operating in L1 right now. Um, so I would say not yet. <laughs> at least the Nova Labs team and the core devs and the Helium ecosystem, we're going to focus on our chain through the transition. righty, Smokey,
0: welcome up. You're on the stage.
8: Hey, just wanted to ask a really quick question I was looking over the information about Helium and whatnot, and uh, I noticed that there's an absorbent amount of miners, but not a lot of revenue generated from actual users on the network. Do you have any way that you think you could remedy this? So I think the, you know, wireless network takes a
4: lot of time to build. The community has built the, the network of 900,000 hotspots over the last three years, and covered a lot of the the major cities <laughs> in the United States, Europe, I'm um, starting to be fairly large in Asia. I think what is interesting um, is that, you know, a lot of customers and users of the network aren't really ready to take the plunge until they see the sort of wide coverage, right? If you are an asset tracking company and you want to put your sensors on the Helium network, you don't want it to disappear off the map if there's no coverage. And so that takes time. Uh, That's one thing to think about. The other thing to think about is millions of packets being seen by the network and they're very, very, very cheap. And that's by design. Uh, So I think that's the other side of it that we should really consider is that the, the whole purpose of this network is to be fairly inexpensive. If you have a sensor, it only costs you about a dollar a year to operate, right? And that's, that's what we're trying to encourage with the IoT network. So I think uh, it t- takes a while to build a network and it takes some time for folks to start to use it. And uh, I think we're starting to see that now.
8: I also noticed approximately like um, 574,000 are active and the rest are not as active hotspots. Is that true or is that just um, data that maybe I messed up somewhere along the line? Really depends on like sort kind of
4: measurement of Active. You know, I think the way that Active is measured today is whether or not they're performing proof of coverage activity, which is one of the things that we're hoping to uh, improve by moving some of the proof of coverage um, machinery to uh, Oracle's, right? So, you know, we want every one of these hotspots to participate. We want them all to be able to um, show where they are where they are and transfer data wherever they are. And so, you know, enabling that as part of this transition.
8: For sure. Thank you. Appreciate the answer. And uh, I'll continue to diligently do my research and maybe I'll hopefully find more information. But um, yeah, I'm mostly just concerned about the usage of the network and the revenue generated by the users of the network because I noticed that that number was quite small. Um, but I, I completely understand what you're saying. It does take time to build a network and whatnot. Um, But, you know, as one of the other gentlemen here mentioned that a startup on a startup type of thing. Right. But I agree. I mean, there's definitely an awesome opportunity. So much lucrative chances to make some wicked stuff there. And uh, I'm very excited to see how this pushes the engagement of users on the network.
0: All right. Awesome. That's that's a that's a wonderful note to end on, I think. What we're trying to achieve here at Helium, we, I say, I don't even work there, <laughs> but but what we as a community are trying to achieve is essentially creating a point for all people interested in decentralized networks of nodes to come together and sort of talk about it and participate and create sub-DAOs. Similarly, I think the Helium and Solana ecosystems are very complementary in that people from Solana will come to Helium, people from Helium will, will discover Solana, uh, and there will just be a lot of interesting cross-pollination of development of ideas and of just shared understanding. So that's one thing I'm really excited about with this collaboration, kind of bringing those two worlds together. My two favorite crypto projects. I'm very biased, but I really do enjoy what both of these teams have done. Incredible work. I think these are both very unique projects. Um, So with that, thank you everyone for all the questions. Thanks to all of our speakers. Really appreciate you coming on such short notice. This is a really awesome and fun day. And yeah, any last words anyone would like to share? I
3: was just going to say that the we is is totally justified, Armand. This is all community-driven stuff. And so thank you for organizing this Twitter space. Again, a great opportunity for folks to come in and start asking some questions. Yeah, thanks for throwing this together.
8: Yeah, it was definitely um, massively educational. And I especially appreciated it. Because as you can tell, I had all sorts of questions. <laughs> so I appreciate having a voice to like understand what's going on and stuff. It makes things a lot easier. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Anatoly, any last words?
6: Yeah. I want to thank everyone from both communities. I think this is going to be super fun. I'm really excited to see like all the Helium folks start taking advantage of DeFi. And hopefully a lot of Sol- Solana users become Helium hotspot owners too.
0: Amazing. All right. Well, thanks to all. This has been an awesome, short, succinct discussion. Thank you very much for tuning in. And I hope that people will also be able to sort of digest... At least a little bit of what has been started today. There's a lot to learn. So definitely dig in. Plenty of docs on Helium, on Solana. The respective discords are also great. Definitely follow Anatoly for Solana stuff. He's very active. Follow the Helium Foundation for Hel- Helium News. Follow Nova Labs. Follow Joey and follow by all just excellent resources on all the things we talked about today. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Thanks. See you all soon. Cool. All right. See you guys. See ya. Thank you for tuning into the hotspot. If you love our content, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to maximize your impact, leave your honest review on Apple Podcasts. Your support helps us reach more listeners and educate them about the Helium Network. I swear to God, if you guys don't move to my favorite Cosmos app chain or Cardano, I'm unplugging all my miners. I'm turning off all my
5: miners. There's no TPS, but it's peer-reviewed. Peer-reviewed, man. Ugh.